Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. copy of God's Word ready, grab a Bible, if you're using your phone, get that ready, open your Bible app, make sure you've got yourself your own copy of God's Word as we start this morning, and you can go ahead and open up to the book of Philippians, Philippians is where we're going to be, and I'll tell you specifically where at here pretty soon, but before we jump into that, I want to ask you a probing question, and it may cause you to laugh, it may cause you to think. And that question is simply this, who or what do you or did you want to be when you grow up? Who or what did you or do you currently want to be when you grow up? And you may laugh at this because you may think about that and realize that who you are today is so much different than who you wanted to be or thought you wanted to be when you were a, when you were a child. It's kind of funny in my own life. When I was asked this as a child, one of the answers I gave at a, at a given point was, when I grow up, I want to be a pastor so I could stand on stage and everyone would laugh at my jokes. Now, we, we're not going to talk about whether that's actually true or not. Uh, the, the pastor part is, but anyway. Um, <laughs> it's interesting that even at a young age, that was what was said, and that shifted as I got older and as I entered high school, I have this desire to go into agriculture because that's what I had grown up doing and my extended family did. And so it just seemed natural that that was what I should do. And God clearly had other plans and now I'm really fortunate to be able to pastor in the community that I grew up in, uh, planting a different type of seed but with the same passion and the same drive. Uh, that even in high school, I was moving towards agriculture, and uh, I have such a love for that still. But w- what is that for you? What, what is that in your own life, and what stories could you tell regarding that? And many of us may even recognize that we, we look 10 years out and see that uh, we, we may even uh, think or have an idea or picture of someone in our head about what that will look like uh, in 10 years. So we, we want our life to be patterned after, have this goal that uh, this is where I want to be or who I want to be and uh, everything that that entails. But when we open up Scripture and we look biblically at where our sights are set and who we should want to be, there's really one clear answer. And that is we should be striving to become more and more like Jesus. Now, the theological term for this is a term called sanctification. And sanctification is really just a big word for describing the process you go through from the moment you believe in the name of Jesus to be saved until your life here on earth is done. And it's the process of becoming less and less like my fallen human self and more and more like Jesus. Now, When we consider that 
reality and that truth in Scripture, there should be another question that we ask immediately following that. And that question is what our series question is going to be over the next several of weeks as we open up Scripture. And we're going to seek to ask the question, if I'm seeking to become more like Jesus, then what am I seeking to become? If I'm seeking to become more like the person of Christ and everything he demonstrated, what am I seeking to become? This is really important for us to understand and answer through Scripture because without that, apart from that, we're just kind of left up to our own devices to decide what that should look like and what that should be. And if you were able to join us for our God Is series and we walk through a biblical understanding of who is the God of the Bible, this is the next, next follow-up to that. I, I need to understand who God is before I can really understand what He's uh, called me to, and in order to fully understand why I should worship Him, why I should obey Him, why I should serve Him. But now we transition this into this calling for us to be more and more like Jesus. And what does that look like? What should I be striving for? What what should that look like? So this is the question we're going to be asking. And I want you today to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2. And, and this is where we're going to kick off this series. And we're actually going to sit um, in Philippians 2 over the next couple of weeks. So today and uh, as we gear up for Resurrection Sunday through our online means, we're going to be in Philippians 2. So read this now along with me and read it this next week. Uh, Commit yourself to studying this text and we're going to trust the Lord to use this to transform us and uh, ultimately to make us more like Jesus and to broaden our understanding of that. Now, a little background on the letter to uh, to Philippians, the, the letter Philippians, if you look in chapter 1, you see that this is written by Paul. And Paul, if you don't know anything about Paul, I want you to note down in your Bible or uh, in your notebook, wherever it may be, note down Acts chapter 9. And after this is done, or later in the week, go back and read Acts chapter 9, and you're going to get an understanding, an overview of the life of Paul and how he got to where he is when he's writing this. So important for you to understand, not just that this was written by Paul, but who Paul is. It's, it's going to enhance your understanding of Scripture. It's going to give more credit to what he's saying and what he's communicating. And it's going to help you feel more confident in your ability to explain Scripture. So Acts chapter 9, write that down. That's a separate study I want to challenge you to do uh, on your own time. And it's written by Paul, and he's, he's really writing to the church at Philippi. And this is a church that we see throughout the text of Philippians. If you read the whole letter, you see that Paul has this really neat relationship with these people. And he's seeking to encourage them. And in verse 5 of chapter 1, we even identify that Paul considers them partners in the gospel. Partners in the good news of proclaiming that Jesus is alive and salvation is through him. So you have this partnership and there's multiple themes that are strung out throughout this letter. But understand that as he's writing this, Paul is imprisoned. And it brings a little more light to the words he's saying as you consider he's in chains and he's writing these encouragements. And to speak those encouragements out of his own sense of having to live that 
all of a sudden it, it expounds upon the reality that he's, he's not only writing to encourage them to continue on and to root into the faith that has been established, but to also pursue this trial and, and coming trials with a sense of joy and contentment that's got to be rooted back into the person of Jesus. So with that overview, I want to read in Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 1, and I want you to follow along with me. And we're going to explore just one character trait of Jesus that Paul talks about here. Verse 1, it says, So, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord, we pray this morning that you would teach us from your word, equip us with an understanding of how to become more like Jesus. God, that you would convict us of the pride in our own life and help us to see clearly how to walk in a way that glorifies you above all else. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you haven't already figured it out, the quality, the character trait that we're going to be focusing on today is humility. And we might have our own concepts or definitions of what we think humility looks like, but I want us to understand this from a biblical perspective, primarily. And to introduce this and kind of transition us into the framework of humility, I want to read for you a quote from C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity. He says, Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. If anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud, and a biggish step too. At least nothing, whatever can be done before it. If you think you are not conceited, it means you are very conceited indeed. Now, there's a depth here that goes beyond many of our thinking, and even the wording here can be challenging for us to grasp and understand. 
But just the transition of thoughts and thinking through, what does it really look like for someone to be humble? What does it look like for someone to live a humble life, to walk in humility? And we might use a description like this, or we might paint another picture in our minds, but there's multiple aspects of this that draw out and should draw out a conflict within us where we wrestle with these realities, and we may even ask the question, am I someone who struggles with pride? Am I someone who has a tendency to move towards conceit? Or am I truly walking as someone who's humble? And it's kind of a funny question to ask because if someone were to come to you and say, yeah, I'm a really humble person, right then and there we would discredit that immediately, which is what C.S. Lewis is drawing out. But this morning, based in Philippians 2, I want you to grasp one main concept. If you get nothing else, wrestle with this. And that is that true unity starts with humility. True unity starts with humility. Now, if we look at the beginning verses of Philippians 2, we see Paul talk about this concept of unity several times. In verse 2 specifically, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. These are all terms that point towards unity and ultimately unity in Christ. Now, we could really look around us and say, we long for unity. We long for unity in our culture. We long for unity in our family. We long for unity in our relationships. We long for unity in the church. But what Philippians 2 reveals to us is that true unity cannot be found without first pursuing humility. True unity starts with humility. And I want you to grasp that and really cling to that. Now, this is not only true, understand this, for human relationships, but this carries over into our relationship with Jesus. The very gospel that we believe, the good news that Jesus came and died and rose again, that we can have life and life eternal, is rooted and begins with an attitude of humility. The first part of our journey in we're taking steps to believe in the name of Jesus to be saved, the first portion of that begins with me admitting that I can't do this myself. That in and of my own self, I'm unable to bring about salvation. I'm unable, I don't have the ability, the strength, the smarts, any of that to do it on my own. It can only come through faith in Christ. Immediately, right off the bat, the gospel is dependent on us, depending on Jesus. It's dependent on me making a conscious decision that I am not enough. And I need more. I need more than myself. I need Jesus. And so understanding that this is the very framework of not just our human relationships and pursuing unity together as one, but also unity with Christ requires that I walk in humility. I want to challenge you, if that, if that is where you're at, maybe this is where you stop in this message and you consider, do I even have unity with Christ? Because unity with Christ requires a humility that says, I need more than myself. And then once we've made that decision, then comes the tedious work of sanctification, of moving from less of who I am in my human self and more of Jesus because I have recognized that I need more than myself. Myself is not enough 
and it is flawed and it is tainted. I need Jesus. And so if that's you, this is where you pick up. And for those of you who have made the decision to follow after Christ and say, I am a follower of Jesus, I believe in the name of Jesus to be saved, what I want to strive to do today is to give you a biblical formula for a humble life, a biblical formula to living a humble life. And understand that this formula is not a solve-all, okay? This formula is a starting point. It's, it's ground zero, or, or ground one, if you will. Ground zero is I admit my need for Jesus, and I, I have to start with that foundation. But ground one then becomes this formula for biblical humility and how I live that way with other people. But note that this takes time to develop. In the same way that trust takes time, you have to give time for this to develop in a way that other people will look and say, you, you are a humble person. It's not going to happen overnight. But practice this faithfully and consistently, and I'm convinced you'll start to see some drastic changes in who you are and the things you notice, things that are important to you. So this is meant to be a starting place. So to have some fun with this, I've given you the, a formula. That's humility equals V-O plus I-O by E-J. Some of you are already rolling your eyes because you're going, I do not like math. I really dislike it. And others of you are cheering because you love math, and this is going to stick well. But my whole goal in this is that this would just give you a visual and something a little unique to stick in your mind and make this solidify a little more so that the next time someone asks you, how do you define humility? You could think of this formula and go, well, let's see. How, how do we pursue humility together? And the first truth in this, the first factor in this equation, comes right out of Philippians verse, chapter 2, verse 3. And that's value others' importance over your own. Value others' importance over yours. So verse 3, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility... Count others more significant or more important than yourselves. Now talk about one point that goes against the grain of anything else our culture would tell you to do. This is it. Consider others more significant, more important than yourselves. Now don't take this a different direction and say, well, okay, I'm going to use this as an excuse to self-harm myself mentally and self-defeat myself. We could go to many other passages in Scripture that speak of your value as a, as a created being after God's own image. And if you are in Christ, you're a child of God and you are adopted, you are part of God's family, you have value, intrinsic value in who God made you to be that no one else can take away. So don't diminish that. And sometimes we can get stuck in these patterns of negative thought where everyone else is better than us, but not in a way that pursues humility, but in a way that rather just puts us in, the, in, a, in a low, low, low place. And that is not what this is saying. Rather, this is communicating that in Christ, we should recognize that we don't deserve the very life, the very breath in our own lungs. But because of the grace of God shown us in Christ, we can walk in this way, in this newness of life and pursue a, a life modeled after Jesus. And a portion of that was Jesus 
own life, he came for others. He came in the flesh for other people. And so this very concept that I, I, if I'm going to live a humble life, I'm going to value the importance of others over myself should be the starting place where we consider those around us and we recognize that this person's life is even more important than my own in how I care and how I speak and how I share. And if that's the mindset, if that's the mentality, your actions, your words, everything and how you treat other people, no matter where they're at, is going to be different. Value others' importance over your own. The second portion of this is look to the interests of others. This is in verse 4, Philippians 2, verse 4. It says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, I want to share with you a story from my own life in a way that I did not do this well. And not only did I not do this well, but I did not do this well while doing things that other people might look at and say, you're doing really good. In my earliest years of ministry, when I was in Oregon State, right out of Bible college, starting, I'm passionate about the gospel, I'm ready to reach people. I also have a wife that I've been married to for a year and that fall, right after we started, we had our first child. And so in the midst of all of this, I am diving headfirst into everything to do with ministry. And I'm just excited because this is what I've been studying for. This is what I've been pursuing. And now I can practically put, into, put in the work. And that wasn't a bad thing, but it became a bad thing. Because all of a sudden, my family became a secondary priority. And I really, in the midst of even... Seeking to reach other people, I put my family's interest and the responsibility to shepherd my family well on the back burner and pursued my own interests and desire to reach people and to do ministry. And so all of a sudden I was spending all my time with other people and I was uh, working a lot more hours than I should have been. And my family paid the price. And that's one example, and you could give many other examples of instances where I look to my own interests and my own passions and my own wants instead of the interests of others, and at times, maybe even the people that we have responsibility to care for, not just others around us, pay the price for that. And the calling in Philippians 2, when we pursue a life of humility, it's recognizing that my own passions, my own interests, the things that make me happy should not be priority number one. But if I'm going to live a humble life, I'm, I'm going to do so in a way that considers the interests of others and looks to them, that values other people but also considers their interests. And these two go hand in hand in a way where it's hard to say that I value other people if I really don't care about their interests or their needs. And so this becomes the, the first building block, that these two elements together are a starting place practically in applying this concept of humility and pursuing that well. Now the third thing that we see in Philippians chapter 2, and this goes with all of it and should be our primary focus in any of these, is following the example of Jesus. So I'm, I'm valuing others. I'm, I'm looking to the interest of others. But then even in the combination of those two things, 
should be completely wrapped in and surrounded by the example of Jesus himself. And Paul goes to great detail here to describe the example Jesus has already set for this life of humility and what this should look like. In verse 5, it says, Have this mind, or another word for that would be, Have this attitude among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Stop and think about that for a minute. Though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, a a better way to understand that word grasped would be to understand it from the perspective of uh, he did not count equality with God a thing to be wielded or used for his own advantage, exploited for his own purposes. And we as humans struggle a lot with power and status. And I'm telling you, we brag about the most ridiculous things in our life. We brag about what we ate for lunch. We brag about how we spent our downtime. Sometimes people brag about how lazy they are. We brag about our jobs. We brag about uh, our, our home, our possessions. We brag about things that uh, in one season may be a big deal, and then later on it really doesn't matter, and it's pointless. We brag about our sinful humanity at times. And yet, here in the midst of this, God, Jesus himself is God in human form. He's in the form of God. And he, in humility, does not wield that as something to be exploited to his own advantage. The application there, simply put, is what is it within your scope of influence that you are wielding to your own advantage with no consideration for the mission God has given you in Christ? It goes on from there. In verse 7, it says, But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So not only did he not wield his power to his own advantage, but he humbled himself to the place of a servant. And Matthew 20, Jesus himself speaks to this directly and says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. John 13 gives a practical example of this when Jesus himself gets down and washes the disciples' feet. And nobody had gotten up to do that because in all of their minds, this was a job for the lowest class you could imagine. I'm too good for this. I'm too big for this. And yet Jesus, in the form of God, lowers himself to the place of serving even in the the way of washing the disciples' feet. And if you want to really challenge that thought process, consider that at this point in the the passion narrative, Judas has not yet gotten up to leave the table. And so Jesus, even aware that he's going to be betrayed, still washes the feet of his enemy. That's humility. But it goes on even beyond this. In verse 8, And being found in human form, he humbled himself 
by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself all the way to the point of dying a criminal's death on the cross. And we know that this ultimately comes down to the entirety of Jesus' mission and why he came. And in John chapter 6, Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's a gospel promise, church. But understand the depth of this, that Jesus, in the form of God, he doesn't count equality with God, something to be wielded to his own advantage. He humbles himself to a servant, and he empties himself to the point of death on the cross because he was doing the mission of the Father, not his own will, but the will of him who sent me. If you are in Christ... God has given you a mission. And you have to answer the question, whose mission am I fulfilling now? My own mission here on earth? Or the mission of Him who sent me? What area do you struggle most with in humility right now? Is it your job? Is it your marriage? Is it other relationships? What area do you struggle the most with in living a life of humility? What initial step can you take to move towards the humility, the example that Jesus has set before us? Who is willing to die on your behalf? Now as we close this morning, I want to turn your attention to a passage in 1 Peter chapter 5. This is really a call to remember what you are to do and how you're to live. And it sums up all of this in thinking about that unity has to start with humility. If I want to be united with the people around me, if I want to pursue that, if I want to see the church united, my marriage united, my family united, the, the community around me united, the country united, the globe, the world united together It has to start with humility, and it has to start with me. And so Peter says this in 1 Peter 5, starting in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. And we see God do this for Jesus in the rest of uh, verse, up to verse 11 in Philippians chapter 2. Verse 7 of 1 Peter 4, Casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. That's true today. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, 
who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Father, may we pursue a life that is marked by humility. May we seek to embody the example of your Son. Father, draw out in us conceited, prideful ways that we would understand humility in light of the gospel and that we would live a life of repentance and surrender, fully committed to the mission you have given us to go and make disciples, to love our neighbor, to shine the light of Christ. That God, that you would you would help us to persevere in doing that right now. Father, we praise you for your grace and that you walk with us and remain faithful even when we are faithless and self-serving. God, deliver us from ourselves and make us more like your Son, we pray in His name.